0: Welcome to the program. It's Tuesday. That means you're listening to AM 630, the word And at 4 o'clock every day, it's the word to stand on for life. Hi, I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. And we're here every day to take your phone calls and answer your Bible questions or life questions or whatever you're going through. We'll do the best that we can to answer whatever's on your heart. Here are the number for your phone calls, 340-9585. That's 340-9585. You can also call us toll free at 877-630-KSL. At 630-5757, you can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com, or you can send them in via our free Calvary Chapel mobile app. If you are driving in your car, please be careful, but the safest way to call is using the free KSLR mobile app. Uh, Just hit the call now button and you'll be connected directly to our studio producer. Now, normally I say there's not a lot going on on Tuesdays uh, and there isn't, at least not here at the church. So we're going to get right to the questions. But let me take just a couple of minutes to share a broken heart with you. Paula and I uh, were subpoenaed as witnesses uh, at a court hearing. And um, there's nothing that is as soul crunching as spending a day in the legal system. As it turns out, I didn't even get called. Paula was only on the stand for just a minute. Uh, That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is the amount of pain in those people's lives, the turmoil, the absolute chaos in their lives. And Jesus is the answer for them as well. You look at the people and you look at the hopelessness, And so many of them, now everybody's young to me, but so many of them young. And you just think about the next 10 years or 20 years of their lives if they make it that long. And it's a living American tragedy. Their hopes are put in an attorney. I watch the attorneys as they talk to their clients and it's all done out in the open in the hallways as witnesses we were in the hallway all day and I'm just thinking if my life was in this attorney's hands male or female how could I possibly have any hope and it makes it all the more important to share our faith with people now a courtroom obviously is not a good place to do it But all around us are people whose lives are falling apart before their eyes. I mean falling apart. I watched young moms with babies by men they're not married to struggling for child support. I see men who... Well, I didn't actually see them because they didn't show up, but the conversation is about men... Who didn't even bother to show up for their hearings because they're not going to pay child support. And I just think, what kind of life is this? And I got to tell you, my heart was broken today over and over and over again. We need to be active in sharing our faith. That's what Paul writes to Philemon in verse 6. But we really need to care about the lost. Our world is broken. Our world is badly broken, and we Christians alone have the answers. Okay, I'll get off my soapbox and get to some questions. 340-9585 for your calls and questions. Here is a question uh, from Richard from our mobile app. Uh, he says, can you explain the meaning of First Timothy, verse 14 and 15, particularly the part where it says women will be saved through childbearing? Richard, that's one of the worst questions that any pastor ever gets, because the, the honest truth is, um, uh, I just wish Paul hadn't written that. Because there's no way to know what he meant for sure. If you read 10 different scholars, you're going to get 10 different answers. And I don't have any special revelation regarding this verse. This is just one of those, those minis- uh, uh, mysteries that we're going to have to be content to wait until we get to heaven. Now, uh, we can talk, Richard, about what it does not mean, We, what we know it cannot mean. It cannot mean that you get saved if you have a baby. So clearly that's not the case. Um, Paul is writing to people who are saved already. But clearly, the reference to the Garden of Eden uh, has importance. Uh, we're just not sure what it is. Um, let me just share my heart a little bit. Before the fall, childbirth was um, supposed to be easy, even pleasant. Uh, but sin ruined it. Uh, Bearing children would be painful. Um, I think personally, and this doesn't mean I'm right, I told you earlier I don't have any special revelation. But I think personally that Paul is telling people, in the context of this passage of Scripture, I think Paul is telling women that their greatest joy, their greatest fulfillment, can be found in assuming traditional biblical roles for women. We also have to remember, Richard, that this is a general principle. Because not all women can have children. But the idea here, I think, is the most satisfying way to live your life, the way to be saved from being deceived, I think that's the context here, is to accept God's role in life, whatever it is, not to rebel against God's established order. That means if you're a wife, to submit to the leadership of your husband. Now, nobody likes that. It's a curse, or at least it's a result of a curse. But I think what Paul is telling us is that when we accept that role, then we're right in the middle of his will, and God will pour out uh, his peace onto and into our lives, It's really, really important that we understand. So he's not saying that you get saved by having a baby. Again, we don't know for sure what he is saying. The only thing we know for sure, Richard, is that um, Paul's going to have a big line in heaven of people, uh, even pastors who stand before him and say, why did you write this and what did you mean? And I think, of course, I'm being childish in saying that. We'll have all the answers when we get to heaven, when we look at Jesus. So, uh, Richard, that is the best I can do with it. I wish it weren't so, uh, but that really is the best that I can do with it. 3409585, I've got a question from one of our longtime regular listeners uh, from our email inbox from Dot. Dot, it's good to hear from you again. God bless you. You're in our prayers and in our heart. And this is a response to. Um, the question we had from Adelia yesterday on the program, uh, who is visually impaired as I am, we, we had that conversation. Uh, and Dodd says, Pastor, as you know, I am 98, 99% blind as well. Um, your caller yesterday asked about how best to study when blind or struggling sight. Since there are a lot of different ways we see and fix those problems, I wanted to concur with you. First, she says, it's a massive problem when you cannot see the word. Uh, my brain races to other things, can't spell to use the dictionary at times, uh, because while you need the big print bigger, bigger isn't better for me, and the enhanced viewer also sounds like CCTV, I suggest Lighthouse for the Blind for the caller. Adelia, that's for you. Uh, repeated listening by King James and then NIV and ESV also helps to retain, um, and and by that she means listening to it by audio uh, lighthouse for the blind has a senior program as well which is a separate budget from rehab to working I hope this helps someone uh, I love the program so keep up the great ministry dot p.s. I think we have to constantly pray for the enemy who would hamper our learning it re- remains a battle but Christ has already won the battle uh, dot God bless you thank you for that let me make a couple of comments um My vision is actually getting worse. Um, When Dodd says it's a massive problem when you cannot see the word, it's a massive problem when you can't see anything. Uh, I was walking downstairs today at the courthouse and and I couldn't see them. Um, um, People are all the time... Now, these are small things, but people all the time saying, oh, look at this picture I got and showing me their phone, a picture that was sent, and I can't see it. Uh, I can't see street signs. I can't see dir- uh, directions when we're driving in a car. This morning we're trying to get to the courthouse and we had it on GPS, but for some reason Paula couldn't make the, the sound part of the GPS work, so it was just on the map, and I couldn't help her at all. And it really is a, a, a huge problem. Um The other thing about hearing the Bible on audio, and when dot says repeated listening, and I'm not talking about listening to Bible studies, I'm talking about the, 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 the audio versions of the Bible, there is nothing better for everyone, including the hearing or the seeing impaired, than repetition. So two, three, four, five times, especially if there's a passage of Scripture that you're really trying to dig into, just let somebody read it to you over and over and over and over. And I promise you, the Lord will begin speaking to your heart. And you are just gonna have to battle the, the tendency to let your mind wander because the enemy is going to try to do that and he has a lot of power to do that. Um, I can't. Uh, the things that everybody else takes for granted I can't see, I I have no clarity it's all furry and focused, unfocused and um, um, it's just really really difficult and at times it gets so frustrating Um, and yet Dot, your heart for Jesus is such a blessing because your situation with your sight is a hundred times worse than mine so we're praying for you thanks for listening and it really is good to hear from you again and know that you're okay. Thanks very, very much. 340-9585. I also wanted to tell um, Adelia from yesterday, the goggles that you asked me about yesterday, are the the name of them is OptiVisor, O-P-T-I, capital V-I-S-O-R, by Donegan Optical Company, D-O-N-E-G-A-N. Uh, they're between 35 and $45. So I hope that helps a little bit, Adelia. God bless you. Thank you so much. Here's a question from Viv. She says, do you think the rapture of the church is soon? Viv, I only can pray so. I hope so. Yes. Uh, I think we mislead people, though. I think many Christians are misled by the, the word Soon. Um, When I think of soon, I think of in the next hour. Uh, When I think of soon, I think um, um, what's going to happen tomorrow. Um, You know, every time Paul and I get ready to go on our vacation in the summertime, um, we start around April thinking, hey, our vacation soon. That's not soon to me. Soon to me is I want to get on the airplane, I want to go, and I want to be with my wife on the beach. And I think sometimes when we talk about the rapture happening soon, We leave that impression. And people get tired of waiting. When soon goes by and nothing happens, they get discouraged. So I think a better word, Viv, is to use the word suddenly. It will happen in an instant, in the flash of an eye. And we'll enter our new bodies and go to heaven and be with Jesus. So suddenly, without warning is the idea. And if we understand that, Then we're not looking for it at a time. We're not looking for it in a couple days or a couple weeks or a couple months. But instead, we're looking for it without warning. Every day that we get up, out of that eastern sky, we could hear that trumpet call of God. Every day. And when it happens, it'll be so sudden that there's no time to get anybody, there's no time to redo anything or think anything. That's why Paul says, for those of us living in the last days, that we should redeem the time because the time is short. We should make the most of every opportunity. Those are the things that we have to focus on. And I think if we really believe that the rapture of the church was imminent, then we would really focus on what little time we have here left in terms of occupying until Jesus returns. So I hope so. I hope it comes. I hope it comes before this program is over. But it's probably gonna not going to happen. Jesus says, I like, come at a time when you think not. So I probably ruined it for today. But the idea here is pretty straightforward. Uh, we want to live as though it could happen now. And if we live our lives that way, when He comes... What a thumbs up, what a smile from heaven we'll get on the trip up to heaven, which will be an instant, by the way. <laughs> Thank you, Viv. Let's go to Austin now and talk with Mark on line one. Mark, thanks for calling. Thank you for your patience.
1: Oh, no problem. And i I'm, um, I'm, I got a question. and I've had trouble getting an answer from ministers. Some of them, like, got upset and didn't even want to answer. People that I know were real educated in the word. Um, I've worked with a... Um, one that's Pentecostal, and they totally deny the Trinity, but they walk and talk and sound Christian, but when you break it down, as I like to do on a lot of stuff, it seems like it's a different God. I mean, if you don't accept the Trinity, it seems like you're believing in a different God. Thus, I don't know how salvation would apply to you if it's not the same God, kind of like the Mormons or whatever, but they sound Christian, and I'm, I can't, I, I don't know. I've had trouble getting anyone to even want to answer that, but well, I'm just curious what your opinion was.
0: Yeah, I'll, I'll not hesitate in answering it. If you don't believe in the Trinity, Mark, uh, you're not saved. You have a different God, just like the Mormons, as you point out, the Jehovah's Witnesses. You have a God that is incapable uh, of saving. Um, the, 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 the salvation uh, source is Almighty God. And he is one God present in three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit. They are all fully God. There's not a junior partner and senior partner relationship. They're all fully God and they're in full agreement. Um, They have different roles. Um, They have different personalities in the sense that they have uh, different objectives. The Father sent the Son to reveal the Father. The Son sent the Spirit to reveal the Son. And it's just this this perfect circle that says uh, this is the way to be saved. So you can't change who God is, and the the doctrine of the Trinity is one of the essentials of the historic Christian faith. Um, we believe in one God, three persons: Father, Son, and Spirit. He is taught from Genesis chapter one all the way through Revelation twenty two twenty one. And that's the only God that can save. And I think, Mark, when uh, somebody tries to dodge that question, you know, there are oneness Pentecostals who don't believe in the Trinity. They believe that Jesus only. Jesus is the Father. Jesus is the Son. Jesus is the Spirit. There are others who would claim to be Christian, but they don't believe that Jesus, though the Son of God, is really God the Son. And their God also won't save. So it's it's uh, this is an essential doctrine, which means it's vital to life and to living. And uh, I think when somebody who talks like a Christian but doesn't have the right Jesus or the right Godhead, I think it's our obligation then to tell them this is what the Bible says. Now, much of the time, Mark, they don't want to hear it and they'll try to engage you in an argument. That's not something that we argue with people about. We simply declare, this is what the Bible says, and then we pray for those people, because without the right God, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ, he is not, or that person is not going to find um, eternity in heaven for sure. So uh, that's as direct as I can be. Does that help?
1: Yeah, I totally agree, and I I was puzzled why some people were real disturbed by even... You know, making that distinction, but I I don't, it doesn't seem like the same God to me either, but they sound extremely Christian. It's kind of freaky, but all right. Thank you.
0: Thanks, Mark. You know, one of the things that Mark is pointing out is that you you can talk to a Mormon and, um, uh, they'll tell you they're saved by the, 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 the son of God's death on the cross. They'll, they'll talk about salvation. Um, uh, the, the, the language, the, the verbiage is the same. Uh, but there's a different meaning poured into the words. So this isn't something that we should ever hesitate on at all. We, we need to be very direct, very straightforward in presenting uh, the fullness of the Godhead in bodily form. Uh, Colossians uh, chapter 2 talks about uh, the Father, Son, and Spirit. That is the fullness of the Godhead in bodily form. That's the Spirit of God in us. Paul says the hope of glory. Christ in us, the hope of glory. So just don't listen if somebody's trying to represent a God that's different than the one imposed on us and to us in Scripture. 340-9585 for your calls. Here's an anonymous question just called into the studio. Uh, What do you do when someone in your circle is having an affair? Is it my responsibility to speak on it or should I mind my business? Anonymous, I'm going to give you two answers. Uh, First answer, if the person having an affair is not a Christian, then your responsibility as a Christian is to go to that person and say, I know what's happening. This is wrong. And then instead of telling them they need to stop, what you tell them is that they need Jesus and you proclaim the gospel to them, period. There's no excuse for cheating on your husband or cheating on your wife. So when someone in your social circle, because you care about them, you've got to tell them. now. If that person is a professing Christian. You have to be even more direct. You see, this isn't something that we can just sort of turn a blind eye to and say, well, you know, it's it's not my fault. Imagine if this person, I'm going to um, um, just use gender roles, uh, not knowing which gender you are, but, but let's just say that you're a, a godly man and a friend of yours. Uh, your friends with uh, husband and wife. You and your wife are friends of theirs. Uh, eventually, the affair is going to come out. Uh, how would you explain to the victim of the affair that you knew about it and yet you called them friend, but didn't tell them about it? You see, remember, we're doing all things to honor the Lord. So you've got to say something about it. If it's a Christian, you go to him. Matthew eighteen says, and you tell him of his sin or her sin. Just between the two of you, you demand repentance. I've had this happen in Anonymous, and I've gone to people and say, look, uh, you're having an affair. I heard that from a, somebody who, who, who knew, and you, I thought you were a Christian. I'm a Christian. Well, no, you're not. How could a Christian do what you're doing? And I want them to question their salvation because the Bible says if you're sexually immoral, if that's the way you live your life, in that unrepentant sin, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. And I don't want to soften that. I want people to be very uncomfortable in their sin. So I would first say that, and then I would tell him or her that now you've got to confess this to your, to your spouse. And if you don't, I will. And um, I've had to do that as well. But you see, that's our responsibility. Now, here's the problem, Anonymous. It's going to cost you friends. But Jesus, who's your real friend, will be so proud of you. And if people start talking badly about you, if people don't like you anymore, they don't include you in that social circle any longer, you can count that as joy because you're suffering reproach to honor the name of Jesus Christ. Jesus said, blessed are you. That word in Greek is happy. Happy are you if you're persecuted for righteousness' sake? It did not say, Jesus did not say that you will feel happy or you'll feel blessed. He just said that you would be happy, that you would be blessed. And that's when we have to walk by faith. Uh, When you turn a blind eye to sin, make it, you know, mind my own business. When you do that, you're enabling somebody who you claim to care about, to fall further and further into the trap of Satan. So these are things that we have to talk about, and we do it because we love God, we do it because we love the people, and if we ever stop doing that, then we're not representing Jesus, in fact, we're misrepresenting Him in the process. Did you ever think, Anonymous, that maybe God uh, has put you in this social circle for that very reason? for that very purpose I understand how awkward and how uncomfortable it is believe me I understand that but we decide between going along to get along and being pleasing to our Lord and we have to make that decision many many times per day so this is something that you've got to speak up about do it in private do it on the, um, uh, do it with kindness. Um, don't share or gossip about the affair with others in the social circle or anybody else. Give the f- person who is your friend an opportunity to do the right thing. But if he or she isn't going to do it, well, that's when you've got to take the initiative to do it yourself. I'll be praying for you, Anonymous. God bless you. We've got 30 minutes left in the Tuesday edition of the program. 340-9585 for your live calls or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. James, we'll get you on the other side of the break. First up, um, 30 more minutes. We'll see you in two.
2: back to the Word to Stand On for Life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron
0: Arbaugh. Welcome back to the second half of the program. 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-5757. Let's go to San Antonio and talk with James. James, thanks for holding over the break. You're on the air.
1: Thank you, Pastor Run, for taking my call. I had a quick question on the uh, fraternal masonic lodges and their members holding uh, key position in churches.
0: Hmm. Um, James, all I can tell you is that would never happen here at Calvary Chapel, San Antonio. Um, the 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 um, um, Mason being a Mason is not consistent with being a Christian. Uh, I don't go as far as some to say that it is uh, of the devil and it's uh, it, it is uh, uh, a heresy. Um, you know, I think in most people's hearts and minds, James, they're they're just a a social club that does a lot of good in the community. Um, but but the deeper you go into the Masonic Lodge, um, the the more secrets there are to keep. There are more mysteries that are revealed, uh, and and clearly the the Masons. Um, I actually have a paper that's written on this. I haven't looked at it for a long time, so I'd have to look at it to refresh my mind. But um, uh, so much of what they believe is antithetical, and uh, I could not in good conscience at all have anybody in leadership who is a part of the Masonic Lodge. Uh, At the same time, if we have people, uh, and I don't believe that we do right now at our church, but if I had people in the church who were part of the Masons, I would personally talk to them about it uh, and ask them um, w- w- about the inconsistencies between what the Masons um, emphasize and and what Jesus tells us in our in our Bibles to be and to do. So I, I don't think there's uh, um, I don't think it's consistent. Uh, I certainly wouldn't permit it. Uh, I, I say that all the while knowing that um, many 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 pastors and church boards would consider this such a nitpicky minor issue. I disagree with them. I disagree with them strongly. Um, But but I think it's it's a little bit sad um, that we're so willing to compromise as Christians. But when we compromise the leadership in the church, I think that is almost a death blow to 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 being fruitful in our ministry for the Lord. So that's the best I can do with James. I do have a lot of information. Um, I just haven't looked at it long enough to, to to have it at the recall. Did that help at all?
1: I should thank you for your time.
0: Okay. My pleasure, James, thank you. Three four zero ninety five eighty five. You know one of the things that we have to deal with as Christians is is are we sold out for Jesus? Or are we compromising our walk with worldly things, even if those things do good? So I think we have to be really, really careful. Be careful on the opposite end of that, too, with the conspiracy theorists and, and um, um, just the Bible. If you know the Bible, uh, I don't think you could be a mason. Here's an anonymous question. How could a loving God allow believers, Christians, to get Alzheimer's? Anonymous, um, God doesn't cause the Alzheimer's. We live in a fallen world. Uh, Our brains have been corrupted. Our bodies have been corrupted by sin. And it happens to everybody. It happens to believers and unbelievers alike. What wouldn't be fair is if God protected only Christians from these kind of diseases. So think about that for a moment. Whenever anybody asks, how could a loving God do something, allow something, they don't really know. This is a question, Anonymous, that indicates you don't know God. You don't know Him at all. Uh, I've... And one of the most painful things I've ever been through is dealing with His insidious illness, over the years and for me and for Paula it goes way back into our nursing home ministry before I even went away to Bible College Um, there, there were and the enemy is relentless in attacking them but here's what I can tell you God is a God of love and he's a God of mercy and at one point in their battle with Alzheimer's and this could be true of every disease especially those that are debilitating God is going to deliver them all completely. And when that Alzheimer's patient leaves the tent of this body and goes into the presence of the Lord, you know what he's not or what she's not going to ask? They're not going to ask, why did you let me do this? Because when they look into those eyes, when they look into that face shining like the sun in all of its brilliance, everything will be perfectly clear everything will be perfectly just sometimes anonymous we christians treat god like we should be exempt from the suffering that other people go through and that's not a biblical notion that there's there's no biblical reason to hold on to that belief and i've watched men and women both who loved Jesus and served him fruitfully, fall victims to this disease. And it is the hardest thing to watch of all, personally for me, out of all the things I've dealt with in our 22 and a half years here, those Alzheimer's victims are the most difficult. When somebody who is bright and smart and had a godly mind starts to lose it it is tragic but remember the one who understands them the one who's with them in their pain in their confusion and by the way the same one who's with the loved ones who are hurting in a different way and sometimes even more deeply because they have the full awareness of what's going on Jesus is there for them And he comes alongside and he grieves, he strengthens, he encourages, he enables. So don't challenge whether or not God is a God of love. Anonymous, please hear this. God proved once and for all that he's a loving God, that he loves you. And he proved it by climbing on a cross for you. They didn't put him there. He went there willingly. He could have called down 12 legions of angels. But because he loved you so much, he chose not to. He chose to be separated from his father for the only time in eternity. Can you imagine the blackness of his soul, of the human Jesus, that moment? That he was forsaken by his father? He chose to deal with finality something an in infinite God couldn't possibly understand and while he could have prevented it he made the choice because he loved you he allowed them to hammer those hands and nails into his feet and, uh, there's a, I'm sorry those nails into his hands and feet for you he allowed them to spit in his face taking the shame that was the greatest indignity in a Jewish culture he became undignified because he loves you because he didn't want you to be ashamed he let them beat his face mercilessly to the point it wasn't recognizable as human when they took that bag off can you imagine he did that for you because he loved you And then finally, because he couldn't imagine the possibility of eternity without you, he died. I'm going to use a King James word. He showed you the uttermost of his love. That settles the issue once and for all of whether or not this is a loving God. And I think, Anonymous, what we need to do is we need to be more realistic about the world that we live in. Instead of blaming God for things like this, we blame sin. It is always frustrating to me. And I understand grief, and I know God doesn't get his feelings hurt, but it's frustrating to me personally when I hear Christians who know better, allow their circumstances to change things. Today, news comes from another mass shooting in Northern California. Uh, I, I just looked at the headlines. I don't even know uh, how many are dead. Some children were shot. But but I don't think any of the children are dead. But we look at this. Well, well, how could a loving God do that? We don't blame God for those things. Physically, emotionally, spiritually, in all ways, our world is corrupted by sin. And Jesus is the answer for that. We need to remember that he provided provided a way out so anonymous I hope that gives you a little bit better understanding about whether or not God is loving oh it breaks my heart 340-9585 here's a question from Ted uh, Ted says orthodox Christians don't believe in a penal substitutionary atonement why is it important in terms of doctrine Ted, these are some of the things that are really hard for me to, to, to understand. Uh, the, the penal substitutionary atonement of Christ is essential to our faith, and yet I do know Orthodox Christians, knowing they don't believe in that, uh, and yet I believe they're saved. But the reason it's important is because somebody has to pay the price for your sins. Somebody has to face the wrath of God. And that's why Jesus had to be the substitute for you and for me. And I think in many cases, especially with the Orthodox Christians that I know, most of them don't understand what they believe any better or any more than we who are Christians understand what we believe. I mean, think about it. We wouldn't need a radio show like this one if people really studied their doctrine and understood who Jesus was, what he's done, the finality of it, and believed it. Well, I think there's a lot of people that grow up in an orthodox household. It's a very religious, liturgical church. And they don't ask the questions. They just accept that's the doctrine. But if you don't believe in substitutionary atonement, penal substitutionary atonement, I think you need to examine your heart. Because who died in your place? Who was judged in your place? It's a doctrine that's so important. There's a New Testament scholar at the Episcopal Church uh, named N.T. Wright. Many of you are familiar with his writings. He can be seen on YouTube. He's sort of a, a, a current day sensation uh, of the, the social media group. But he's just not right about not buying penal substitutionary atonement. And if I could talk to N.T. Wright, who's smart, far, far, far smarter than I am, I would say, who paid the price? His response would be, nobody had to pay the price. Jesus died on the cross to satisfy God's bloodlust, is basically what they would say. They wouldn't be that honest or that direct. without the shedding of blood there's no remission of sins but you see if that's something we have to believe to be saved so it's one of those mysteries I can't explain is somebody saved if they don't believe that well I don't know I don't know we're we're living in a time Ted when people are leaving in droves the evangelical church movement in large part because of our fascination with republican politics and they're chasing more liturgy and in the process they change what they believe are they saved? well if they ever were they are let me see one other thing about this and this is the mystery remember it wasn't too many years ago that a whole bunch of Coptic Christians were beheaded on a beach by ISIS. All those Coptic Christians had to do was deny Jesus. Now, their doctrine says, I don't believe in the penal substitutionary atonement of Christ. But when push came to shove, they refused to deny Jesus. It would have saved their lives physically. And they lost their lives. Do you think Jesus accepted them in heaven? Of course he did. They believed enough. And they put their money where their mouth is. So, Ted, I hope that helps a little bit. We've got Terry calling from San Antonio, Texas, on line one. Terry, thanks for calling. You're on the air.
1: Hi, Pastor Ron. I haven't spoken to you in a while, but sure is nice to hear your voice again.
0: Oh, Terry, it's nice to hear yours, too. Thanks for calling.
1: Yes, sir, uh, Pastor Ron. I wanted to ask you in the in the script. I mean, in the in the New Testament, it says there. I I don't know which 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 one. If it's John or Luke or which one, but anyway, I know it said there that Jesus wept, and that's all it said. Well, did he weep before John the Baptist, or did he weep for one of the apostles? And oh, I'll great listen off, off the and I'll listen off the air.
0: Thank you, Terry. And uh, oh, Terry's another longtime listener that we haven't heard from for a uh, while. Well, and it's always you, God, good, Terry, you to hear your voice. We
1: love
0: you. <laughs> and she's listening, Terry. Thank you. Uh, that's in the the Gospel of John, and it's the shortest verse in in the Bible. And Jesus wept, and it was at the tomb of Lazarus. So, John chapter eleven, verse thirty-five. That's the verse. But the whole story is so magnificent, and we might wonder why would Jesus weep? And it's a very strong, forceful word in the Greek. So he he wept from the depths of his soul—a very bitter weeping. Uh, and we might say, well, why would he weep? Because he knew he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead. In fact, this was the whole plan. That's why he waited four days after hearing that Lazarus was sick before he came. He he heard Mary and Martha come running. If only you'd been here, my brother would have would have would have been would've be alive. And and, and Jesus just asked Martha, do you believe? I believe that in the resurrection, he will live. And Jesus, you remember Terry, said, I am the resurrection and the life. Do you believe that, Martha? And Martha's answer was, yes, I believe. So he goes to the tomb. Now, in a Jewish culture, in a Middle Eastern culture, funerals are very loud and emotional Things In the ancient world, it was such a hard world, they didn't have the luxury of grieving for a month or grieving for a year like some of us do in the West. Uh, so they hired, actually hired, funerals had professional mourners. And the whole idea, the wailing and the, the crying, it would help others uh, get in touch with, with, with the sadness the grief that they were experiencing. And so what Jesus is doing is He's looking around all the pain. And all the grief, and in that one instant, Terry, in that one instant, he would run back to that moment where he created all things. And he saw that it was good, he saw that it was good, and then he saw that it was very good. He would remember what it would be like in the garden, watching the unfallen Adam and the unfallen Eve and having fellowship with them. And suddenly it dawned on him. Now again, when I say dawned on him, it didn't mean he wasn't aware of it, but it just had a great impact that this isn't the world I created. I created a perfect world with no pain and no sin. And look what's happened to this world that I created. And for a moment he couldn't take it and he wept. Again, he knew he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead, but he was weeping at pain. He was weeping at circumstances. Things that he never imagined would happen. One other commentary, and I'll move on. After that, he walked to the tomb and said, roll away the stone. And Lazarus' sister said to him, Oh no, Lord, that I always loved the King James. By now he stinketh. Jesus "Roll away the stone and called out, Lazarus, come forth. And he did. One of my favorite messages that I do is a message that uh, I call grave clothes. Uh, when Lazarus came out, he would have been wrapped like a mummy And when that spirit came back into his body, this miracle of life, he would have had to come hopping out. And Jesus looked at the people around and said, take off the grave clothes. A lot of us are sort of hobbling through life because we're covered in grave clothes. Jesus' command to Lazarus is the same one it is to us, take off your grave clothes and live. And the only way you can do that is to live for Christ. Thanks for the question, Terry. And again, it's really good to hear your voice. It's very comforting. Here's a question from Paul. Paul says, I'm invited to a wedding where my friend is already living together before getting married. Should I refuse to go? Um, Paul, I-, I wouldn't refuse to go. <laughs> um, but I'd sure make my voice known. I would be sharing Jesus with them. If your friend is living with somebody, uh, having sex with somebody that he's not married to, um, or she's not married to, it could be a female friend, um, then they're in sin, and you need to share Jesus with them. But what you want to do is to be a constant source of love, but never, never, never in a way that they might understand is you accepting or understanding their sin. Tell them that they're getting ripped off. Yesterday in this office, I had the opportunity, not yesterday, Monday. Yeah, yes, that was yesterday. My, my schedule's all messed up. Uh, I had a, a young couple, a uh, man and a woman in their mid-twenties. Uh, they're getting married in February. Uh, and I didn't have to ask them about sexual purity. They brought it up. They're going to wait until their wedding night. Both of them have walked with the Lord the entire time they've been together. And they're committed to being virgins when they marry. And the world looks at them like, how could you do that? I mean, how do you know it's even going to work? Well, see, they trust the Lord. And you need to share those kind of stories. Imagine how special it is. It's almost as though on a wedding night, Jesus hands the groom a perfect wrapped gift from heaven and he gives that gift to you to unwrap imagine how much God loves you as you unwrap that gift, if the gift has already been unwrapped, if the two of you are already having sex you're missing out so I would probably go because this is a friend you're praying for, but this is a friend who your very presence in his or her life would be a reminder of their sin, and the Holy Spirit will use that. Now, Paul, you didn't mention this, but, but I would not be in the wedding court. Now, this is just me personally. I wouldn't be in the wedding court. But you know what I would do after the wedding when the pastor finally says, I now pronounce you husband and wife? I would go to my friend. I'd give him or her a big hug and a kiss on the cheek and say, now, now you're in a place where God can bless you. How about repenting and getting right with God so that he can bless this marriage forever? So, Paul, that would be what I would do. I hope that helps a little bit. We're inside two minutes, so we don't have time for any more phone calls. Uh, Let me see if I have a two-minute question. Uh, I do. Here's one from Anonymous. Do you believe God is sexist? Why do women seem second-class when reading the Bible? Anonymous, they seem second-class because you don't know the author of the Bible. That's why. Our Lord Jesus Christ is the liberator of women in the history of the world. He's the one who puts them, the only one who puts them on equal footing with men. In Christ, there is no male or female, we're told. In other words, he values women in exactly the same way as he values men. Giving people roles is not sexist. So women seem second class because you have a decidedly Western perspective, a point of view that has been formed by the media the time that we live in, And it's formed because you have no knowledge of who God really, really is. So, if you want to see how God feels about women, read the Bible. Read the Bible, and it'll give you a whole different perspective. So, I hope that makes some sense. we have to be careful not to fall into these cliché traps that the world sets just because a woman can't be a pastor that's not sexism that's a role those are the things that we have to remember as we serve Jesus Christ hey thanks for the calls today great yesterday and today both to hear some old familiar voices on the program we love you and are praying for you all the time uh, you've been listening to the word to stand Up for life lord willing i'll be back tomorrow at four o'clock to take more of your phone calls and questions on the word to stand Up for life god bless you see you then
2: thanks for spending this time with calvary chapels the word to stand on for life with pastor ron arbaugh